Samuel chapter 7. There are two verses there we're going to look at this morning in our exegetical journey through the book of 1 Samuel. To our visitors, I want to thank you for coming and being with us today. The New Beginnings Church desires to be an expositional preaching and teaching church. And that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time. Family? And today we'll be looking at two verses in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Amen? We do pray that you will come and grow with us. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for so, so much for this great church, this great body of believers. Thank you for the ministries that are exploding and growing here. And thank you for the excitement that rests in our hearts and in our minds. But more important than that, God, we thank you for your word today that it speaks to us. It leads us and guides us, cultivates in us room for growth. So do it again, Lord, in our hearts. Breathe on me now, your preacher, and give me preaching power. Open the eyes and ears of these, your servants, so they can hear and see what your scripture has to say for their lives. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and they took the ark of the Lord. And they brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And so it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. And it was there 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. I want to tag this message today, how to cultivate the elements of revival. How to cultivate the elements of revival. You may be seated. This is going to be a very difficult message, so help me to walk through it by saying amen. Family, one of the greatest needs in the life of the believer is the need to be revived. Would you say amen right there? Amen. Sometimes as we journey with Christ, every now and then, Reverend Mason, we tend to get carnal. We tend to get lazy. We tend to get comfortable. We tend to get rebellious or even hard to get along with. Sometimes we just get plain old disobedient. And these seasons, when we enter them, make us dull and over-familiar, Blackburn, with the things of God. And when this happens, what the child of God needs is revival. Am I making sense? When revival comes, we start to pray again. When revival comes, we repent for our behavior. When revival comes, we forgive others who have offended us. Yeah, yeah. 
When revival comes, our worship changes. When revival comes, we feel like worshiping. When revival comes, we even lament over our behavior and our actions toward God and toward others. When revival comes, God can use us to do great things in the earth on his behalf. And that's what this text is about today. It's about recovering the elements of revival for our lives again. Is there anybody here this morning feel like you need reviving? Come on, be honest through here. Is there anybody here this morning want to get back to the joy of your salvation? Anybody here ready to get off of that holiday of disobedience? Then I think this text will give you some elements for revival. Can I tell you the background? Israel in our text has just experienced a season of rebellion against God. And God has had to discipline them because they got over familiar with the ark. Remember that on last week? These men from Israel, the Levites, actually thought they could handle God, the ark, in a casual manner. And if you were here, you journeyed with us, you remember that they looked inside of the ark to try to look at its contents. And God killed over 50,070 of them. And when his wrath fell on them, they finally got the picture that God still judges sin. And that God does not settle for anything less than holiness from his people. Now, in our text on last week, we learned that the men of Beth Shemesh, after God disciplined them, they immediately gave a clarion call to a sister city called Kirjath-Jerim to come and to take the ark from their presence. In other words, they were upset with God and wanted nothing to do with him because of his actions against them. We know that God disciplines those he loves, and we really don't like it when he disciplines us. But instead of drawing near to God, they wanted to, to withdraw from God. And so today we're going to see what God was doing in that text. And today we're going to see how he engages Israel in this new and different season of his relationship with them. I believe that God was preparing them for revival. I believe it's a revival that they were in need of. I believe that this move from Beth Shemesh is a necessary move. And that God is working, his work is eternal, and eternity is what he's shaping us for. And if we will ever encounter revival again, we're going to need to do several things. Anybody want to know what they are? Well, number one, if you're going to encounter revival again, you got to practice the element of servitude. Are they up there? There you go. Number two, if you're going to experience revival again, you got to practice the element of submission. Number three, if you're going to encounter revival again, you got to practice the element of sacrifice. 
And then number four, we're going to look in the text and, and discern that if we ever going to encounter revival again, we've got to practice the element of surrender. This is a heavy text, but if you I think if you'll lean in with me, you'll you'll grab some nuggets for you, okay? You might be here and you are revived. It's all good. Take them home and give them to a friend who's lost their joy. Amen. I think it'll help you. So let's uh, us unpack. There's only two verses here, so we're going to unpack it. And this is what we mean by expositional teaching and preaching. We walk through the verse and we overturn words so we can get their true meaning so you can maximize all that's in the text. Does that make sense? Now, the only way to really do this is to do it with your Bible open. You can sit there and watch me do it and still not get nothing out of it. But if you open your Bible you can get just as much out of it as I got out of it. Amen? Okay, so let's look at verse 1 and 2, or your iPhones, whatever you have it on, okay? The verse says that then, you should circle that right there, because that then is there in the text because something else has just happened. Okay, so then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came, and they took the ark, of the Lord, and they brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill, and they consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. Amen. The first thing I notice in this text is that if the elements of revival are going to come into our situation, there must first be the element of service and personal responsibility. Can you hear me? The text says that after the men of Bethshemesh called for someone to take the ark from them because they had been disciplined, that then, the men of Kirjath, Jarim came. And this is very interesting. These men from Kirjath have heard of the calamity that has just come to their sister Levite community. But instead of shrinking back from dealing with the holy things of God, they decide to step up and embrace the opportunity to serve. Notice. They were not Levites like Beth Shemesh was. They were not priests. They were not scholars. They were not men steeped in privilege. They, they were men who just heard a call and felt a need to draw near to that which is holy. Are you in here? No. Not only this, but they came in numbers. The text didn't just say it was Bob from Kirjath or, or little Joe from Kirjath. It said, then the men. It's implying the whole community, Tommy, of men. Y'all see that there? Has stepped up. Now, where is this Kirjath? Where is it? Well, it was a small place, a sister city to Bethshemesh. And it was a place in the hills. The word Hebrew for Kirjasarim literally means the city of woods. It's like a forest. 
and it was the nearest town to them. In other words, these were men that came from obscurity. These were brothers from nowhere. No titles in this crowd. No legacies in this crowd. No big egos in this crowd. Notice they don't have no names are mentioned among them or about them in the text. All we know is that they all came together for one common cause. And notice this. They came to serve their brothers and to serve the Lord. Are you listening here? No man in this crowd had a title because Ed, no man needed one. They, they were ready, these men were, to, to, to draw near to the ark. What was in the ark? Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod that was significant to the budding representation of the authority of God. What else? A little bowl of manna. That was a reminder of God feeding the children of Israel as they walked through Egypt. A temp, a symbolic for the bread of life. What else was in there? The Ten Commandments. And they were willing to draw near to the bread of life, the word of God, the authority of God. And then on top of the ark set these two angels with their faces covered toward the mercy seat. It was a sign that this is where God dwells and has mercy on humanity. They were willing, in spite of what they just heard the ark did, to draw near to God instead of drawing or withdrawing from God. You know what else I noticed in this text? They were also representing their families as the men in the community. They were willing to bring their communities into subjection by going after the ark. In other words, brothers and sisters, they knew the danger of being in a relationship with God. They, they, they knew they were taking their lives into their own hands. Yet they had a covenant community to bring the presence of God into their neighborhood. This thing had what I call is a critical element of revival that was brewing between them. Let me see if I can help it to live a little more for you. When I was looking at the text, Brother Kabuya, I noticed that it had been a long time since Kirjath has seen Yahweh move among them. The last time they saw the ark, they lost it in battle. Remember that? And then the ark had remained with the Philistines for a long time. So they hadn't seen God do nothing among them. It had been a long time since they had even felt his presence. It had been a long time since the power of God was on display in their world. It had been a long time since they had had a word from the Lord. And these brothers were in need of a new word. They were in need of a move of God. They were in need of a special activity to warm their hearts again. And all of a sudden, God's presence was back in the community and at their grasp. And they needed to draw near to him. And so they arose to the occasion to go back and elevate God where he needed to be. In their families. Well, if this was a men's conference, I'd be going crazy right here about a real ministry for a man. Yes, man. Yes, man. 
Let me tell you something, family. There is need for revival in our community. Look at us. Our women are marrying women. Our sons are marrying other sons. Our children are confused. We need a revival. Our country is entertained by people like Donald Trump. Trying to be the president and a spokesperson for a nation. We need a revival. Y'all listening to me? We need men to grab a hold of the ark of God. We need for men to be spiritual leaders again. We've abdicated our role to our daughters. And they were not made to lead us. They were made to care for us. We were made to protect them and to lead them. But we have lost our way. We need for men to grab the hold of the authority of God. We need for men to grab a hold, Alex, of the word of God. We need for men to grab a hold of the bread of life and bring it back into their homes. Bring it back into their families. Bring it back into the community. When I notice about these men of Kirjath, Brother Ralph, these brothers was on one accord. (laughs) That's the first step right there. They wasn't fighting with each other. They were on the same page. They were what I call Pee-wee soul friends. They had everything in common. They were co-laborers together. And these men were willing to bear the yoke of the burden and take a chance on handling the holy and sacred things of God so that all of Israel could be restored and live in peace. My question is today, where are the men of Kirjath? Where are the spiritual giants that we're looking for? Because we don't have them, guess what? Gangs are running wild. Because we don't have them, I already told you what our kids are doing. Because we don't have them, the world is topsy-turvy. God left Adam in control of humanity. And Adam has abdicated his role over to Satan. And as a result, Satan has confused the genders. And now, ladies, you want to be something more than God created you to be. Men want to be something more than God created them to be. Are y'all in here? Somebody ought to pray for Bruce Jenner. Instead of laughing and looking at him, the man is messed up. He confused. He done lost his way. That's why he has so much conflict and turmoil about this new identity. Because you were not made that way. Are y'all listening to me? Listen, listen, have mercy on people that embrace that type of lifestyle, but minister to them because they're confused. We need men to take their rightful place again, to be men that grab a hold to the ark of God and are willing to lead their families and community. If we're going to experience revival, we got to practice the element of servitude. If we're going to experience revival, we got to practice, number two, the element of submission. Look at the text. The Bible says that the men from Kerjeraph, Jerim, they brought the ark. Look where they took it. They took it into the house, I'm still in verse one, of Abinadab. Circle that, because that's important. 
who lived on the hill. Y'all in here? When we come to this portion of the text, brothers and sisters, we see another element for revival to emerge in the text. It's what I call, again, the element of submission. Here, the men of Kirjath, they brought the ark again into the house of Abinadab. Now, Mr. Abinadab now has in his possession the same ark that Joshua in chapter 6, Yeshua had on his farm. When they opened it and God killed them. Same ark. It ain't changed. It killed 50,070 men. And he took that same ark and took his house. That same ark caused the plagues on the Philistines. That same ark knocked over and destroyed Dagon, their little god. But yet Abinadab is willing to take Lord Jesus. This dangerous ark into his house. Are you listening here? Why? Because he was submissive to the idea that the men in Kerjath could make a difference for all of Israel. Look, look, look. Just as, as they were not is Levites, he was not a Levite. Just as they were not priests, he was not a priest. Just as they were not scholars, he was not a scholar. Just as they were men... Not steeped in privilege. He was not a man of privilege. But yet he was submissive enough to his brothers and to God to be available to draw near to them and to God. Can I say some more? I believe this. I believe this. Just like the men of the city were willing to take a risk and go get the ark for God for their families, for one another, so was Abinadab. He was available to take risk. Listen, brothers, I wish that ministry was safe. I wish it didn't cause no calculated risk. But everything about it is about taking risk. No, no, y'all missed me. Y'all missed it all together. If you want to be safe, don't be a Christian. But if you, want, if, if you want a life of activity and a life uh, that will bring God glory, yes, you, you, you follow God in ministry. Because everything about ministry is taking risk. Am I making sense here? Can, can I say some more about Abinadab? Abinadab, brothers, wasn't qualified to have an ark in his home. He met none of the Levitical law qualifications but God is doing something unique here in these first two verses because the last ones that had the ark the Levites y'all remember what they did they did what God told them not to do and they looked in the ark so God now gives the ark to men who ain't qualified and I'm so glad he uses us I know I ain't qualified can I give you my pedigree a drive-by shooter, a Raymond Avenue crip from South Central Los Angeles, low-down moon, time-serving, drive-by shooting, dope-smoking criminal, didn't grow up in the church. I'm disqualified. But God, 
was looking for a man who was willing to be down with other men, who was willing to be on the edge, who was willing to take a risk, who said, God, if the preacher won't act right, I will. Anybody in here? When I look at Abinadab, he made himself available for whatever the Lord wanted him to do. Now, that's big right there for men, period. But Abinadab was ready to draw near to the ark. There was something about him, brothers and sisters, that he was ready. He was hungry to be near Aaron's rod. He was hungry to have in his home the manna, the bowl of manna. He was hungry to have the, the Ten Commandments in his home. He was ready to draw near to the mercy seat of God. And nothing was going to keep him from treading on God lightly. I can't help but notice that he opened up his home to God. Which means by opening up his home, Reverend Brown, he had access to God 24-7. He invited, he invited God to stay and to dwell with him. Carm, good to see you, sis. Abinadab was available to be used by God. His home became the dwelling place of God. He wasn't like most Christians today. Leave God where you found him at church. His home was where God dwelled. Are you listening to me? What about our homes? Can we say that today? That your home is the dwelling place of God? Can we say that our lives are the dwelling place of God? Can we say that our hearts are the dwelling place of God? Can we say that we love God like that? Or do you just love him when you get here amongst his people? That's the test. Family, look, when I look at this, this is a, one of the elements of revival. Where our total lives are abandoned unto God. If you want to be revived, live life, live life for God with reckless abandonment. Don't apologize for being a believer. I think I'm going to throw up if I hear another Christian apologize. For God's standards for holiness. I ain't apologizing to no wicked world about why God is like he is. Are y'all in here? We don't owe the world no apology. Are y'all in here? Hello. It ain't about being politically correct. It's about being biblically correct. Am I in here, y'all? Look, if you're going to experience this element of revival, God has to have access to every area of your life. This whole community knew that, that, that Abinadab's life was not his own. When he took that ark in his house, they all knew, Kabuya, that his house became the place on display for all the world to see. The whole community knew, yeah, who lived with Abinadab. The whole community knew the ark was in his house. The Bible says they brought the ark to the house of Abinadab that was on the hill. 
Y'all see where I'm going already. I find this interesting. Y'all know why? Because the ark, first it was God chose to take it to an, an obscure place. Some place off the grid that nobody would ever visit. Kind of looks like Nazareth. Not only that, put it in the city of the woods, in the house of an unnamed person. Nobody with no real stature. Kind of like Joseph. Y'all ain't in there yet. Abinadab's name means one who was noble. And he lived on the hill, which was high and lifted up. Can I say some more? This text informs me that God delights to dwell with those people with no reputations. Those type of lifestyles bring him honor and glory. Those people who are noble after him, who have total access to him. God likes to dwell where he can be high and lifted up. No, no, y'all missed it right there. He ain't trying to share your throne with you. He want to look at your life and you giving him all the credit, all the glory, all the time. Are you listening here? Are you an Abinadab that he can use? Are you a noble follower that wants to be in the presence of God in spite of what everybody else is doing? Are you the one, daughter, that that will take him over everyone else? Will you or do you dwell where God can be lifted up in your life? Brother Benadab teaches us, yeah, teaches us what one of the elements of revival is. The element of submission. If we want revival to come to our lives and to our homes, brothers and sisters, we have to be servants to our families, servants to God, and servants for his mission on earth. Can I say some more? I'm still in verse 1. Y'all with me? If we want revival to come to our home, Sister Wilson, and to our lives, we got to be submissive to one another. That goes against the culture. Are y'all listening? The culture don't want you to be submissive, especially Americans. We got it bad. We're arrogant. We, got, we don't like something. We're going to tell you how we feel. You know that ain't Bible? God calls me to be submissive to you. Calls you to be submissive to me. Submissive to those who don't even love us or like us. That's Bible. And God wants us to have a submissive heart and mind. That's why he puts Abinadab on display for us. I really got this part. Abinadab was the noble one among men. So all of the men of Kirjath got together. They said, we're going down to get the ark. Because Israel needs to be restored in her relationship with God. And there is one man among us who stands out above us all. Though he doesn't have any rank, his name is Abinadab and he lives on the hill. We look to him because he's most noble of us all. We're going to carry this ark and place it with him. Why? He got integrity. He can be trusted. He ain't bothered our wives. 
He ain't bothered our daughters. He ain't mishandled our money. This is a man we can look to. We ain't even got a question what kind of man he going to be. And all the brothers, somebody say all the brothers. All the brothers said this is the one. Abinadab is the one. If the ark going to dwell anywhere, it ought to dwell with him. Can I say some more? Not only did they choose that, but look what happens in the third part C of that first verse. Number one, we see them practicing servitude. We see them practicing submission, LED. But number three, we see them practice the element, daughter, of sacrifice. Can I unpack it? I got two. Can I unpack it? The text says, watch this, they took it to his house, and then listen, 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 Aaron, they consecrated Eleazar. Not a Benadab. Y'all in here? Let's work a little bit. They consecrated Eleazar, circle this, his son. To keep the ark of the Lord. Look at this. When we come to this text, you see a picture emerge that only God could write. Y'all ready? I'm going to try to compose myself because I got to get through it. But Eleazar is the only begotten son of the father. The only begotten of the father who's most noble. Who lives on the hill. That's high and lifted up. Y'all, y'all, I know y'all didn't see that because it took me all week to see Can I say some more? They consecrated him, set him apart so that he would be the one to keep the ark. In other words, he's got to lay down his life. That all of Israel may be reconciled back to God. Who am I talking about, church? Who? 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 He becomes a type of Christ in the Old Testament. God has always been trying to get you to look like Jesus. That's good preaching. I don't care where you are. I'm sweating like a pig on trial up here, y'all. You know what else is here? Eleazar becomes willing to live before the mercy seat. He becomes willing to handle the manna. Willing to hold the word of God, the Ten Commandments. Willing to live under the authority of Aaron's rod. Willing to be in the presence of the mercy seat. On behalf of others. 24-7. He's got to do this. He's consecrated. He's set apart. Brother Matthew for a special task. It means he's designated. To be holy. On behalf of the people. Before a holy God. This was his ministry to the community. It was his ministry to his brothers. To his fathers. To all of those who lived in Kirjath. He becomes a type of servant that could be trusted with the holy things of God. 
Where my Eleazar's at today? Those servants. I say, for Christ I live, man. And for Christ I die. Where are the Eleazar's? That are willing to live 24-7 in the presence of God as an act of worship to God. To minister to God's people. One of our greatest problems in America is we got too many part-time believers. What was God doing in this text? I'm almost through. But what was God doing? I believe God was giving Eleazar a journey. I believe God was orchestrating by appointment to use the house of Abinadab as a picture for his people. I believe God was calling Israel back to himself, for himself, because of himself, on behalf of himself. I believe, I believe, I believe that the Eleazar is a picture of what our service ought to look like. I think God was modeling through Eleazar how I am to serve him in the earth. I believe God wants me to be a better servant. A servant who's willing Kabuya to do hard things like the men in this text. I, want, I think he wants me to be more submissive. I think he wants, he wants me to be like Abinadab and Eleazar and the men of this text, just like he wants you. Listen, all I'm trying to say is no more excuses. If you've lost the joy of your relationship with God, you're probably in need of one of these elements on the board. Check your servitude. Check your submission to the, God, to the things that God is asking of you. And then check your sacrifice. Have you gotten off the altar of a living sacrifice? If you're not doing any one of these three things, I guarantee you, you're probably not happy about following Jesus. And then number four, as I close, I've got so much in here I want to give to you, but I'm going to hump it off. As I close, I want to share these final thoughts from this passage. Verse 2. The text says, here's how we ought to practice the element of surrender, which is the final element for us. The Bible says that the ark remained. You see that there? In Kirjath Jalim for a long time. Now, you ought to circle that if you've been following this story, because that's good. Because ever since the, the Philistines had it, he didn't stay in, in the Philistine long. No, because they didn't want him. He didn't stay in Bethlehem long, because they didn't want him. But he's finally found a community that wants him, that is submissive to one another. Y'all in here? that has a servant's heart toward him and toward one another and that are willing to be living sacrifice. And it was there, the text says, that he stayed 20 years, or the ark stayed 20 years, and all the house 
of Israel lamented, circle that word, after the Lord. As I close this passage, choir, listen to me right here. I can't help but notice that God caused the ark to remain in Kirjath. He caused it to remain for 20 years. Though he was rejected by the other people, he found servants here that were willing to work for him. And because he delighted in them, Brother Gray, for 20 years, he was working in them, working on them, and working for them. After 20 years, they began to remember about what it was that caused them, here it is, choir, to be separated from God. So 20 years he remains there, and after 20 years, all of a sudden, the light goes on for Israel, and they start to lament, to repent, to cry out before God about what their behavior was toward God. Are you with me here? In other words, let me give it to you in one sentence. There is no revival without repentance. True repentance means you turn from what you're doing. It don't mean just that you're sorry you're doing it. It means you turn. You stop it. There's no revival without repentance. Y'all listening to me? Listen, God love you. He'll never stop loving you. But he wants you to have the joy of your love relationship. And you can't have the joy of your love relationship if you don't repent and lament over what you're doing that's causing y'all separation. After 20 years, they began to think about what their walk with God was like. After 20 years, they began to open their hearts They actually now were missing and longing for his abiding presence. And so they lamented. Well, next week when we come back with part two of this, there are several other stages of revival I'm going to share with you. But after their act of lamentation, they begin to surrender again to this plan and his will. I'm through. I know this is a heavy text. But the good news in this, in the 20 years, God was patient. God was merciful. Y'all hear? Y'all, y'all, come on. I'm shouting right here, y'all, because he's been patient with me. I can't talk about you, but I know he's been merciful to me. Not only was he patient and merciful, he was gracious. And guess what, y'all? He waited on the hill. He kept himself in position where they could see where he was. Though he waited in obscurity, he waited in their presence. He waited for their hearts to turn back to him. He was a patient God, even in the midst of their blindness. God was waiting patiently. Has God ever waited on you? Come on, don't fool me now. Somebody here need to know that he's waiting on, wave, wave at me if God has waited on you before. Has God ever waited patiently? 
until you saw your sin like he saw your sin. Has God ever displayed mercy and grace when you weren't deserving of it? That, that, that ought to make you uh, wait on people who misbehaving. If God waited on you, you can wait on them. Come on, talk to me. I just said something. I didn't get no amens, but I felt good right there. Amen. Yeah, yeah. The, this, their lamentation was a sign that they were ready for revival. Their lamentation was a sign that they had strayed from God long enough. Their lamentation was a sign that they were ready to return to the Lord. All oh, that America would lament before God for her sins of abortion. All oh, that America will lament before God for her sins of racism. All oh, that America will lament before God for her sins of social injustices. All oh, that America will lament before God for her sexual immorality. All oh, that America will lament before Holy God that she's sorry. For her transgressions, then you can see revival happen in our country. I'm through preaching here, but after 20 years, Kurjath not only kept the ark secure, but I believe they led the rest of the nation into repentance. So that revival would come. They saw the ark in the house of Abinadab. They saw Eleazar live out what it means to be a living sacrifice. And after 20 years, somebody got the idea. And they cried out in lamentation. All right, here's all I'm trying to say. The problems in your family may take a while before they get healed. But God needs in the house of Abinadab and he needs an Eleazar in that family so everybody can see what a life lived out for God really looks like. And then they will repent. All right, I'm through. As I land the plane, God is asking us to do the same thing. As I put on the blinking light, God's reminding you he lives on the hill. God's reminding you he has a son that has lived holy before him. His only begotten son. He's reminding you that that same son came to a hill. Outside of the city of Jerusalem. Where he took all of your sin upon himself. He died in your place. He was victorious on that hill. Shed his blood in place of where your blood should have been shed. His only begotten son died for you and for me was buried in a borrowed grave and rose early Sunday morning, 
Why? So that you might enter into a holy relationship with him. Never to have that relationship broken. Now the communication may have been broken because of a continual activity of sin, but that son is still on the hill, sitting at the right hand of the father, making intercession for you, wanting you to get these elements right. If you get the elements of servitude, the elements of submission, the elements of sacrifice, and the elements of surrender, you can again have that joy. You don't ever lose your salvation, but you can have the joy of your relationship. Can I tell you why? Jesus' death would be none avoid. If you could lose your salvation, he had to die over and over and over every time you mess up. But his death was once and for all. Now don't take advantage of this wonderful privilege. God created you to exist in harmony with him, holy communion with him, to know the joy of your salvation. Don't live in misery as a believer. It's like oil and water. They don't go together. But get after it. Practice these elements today. Would you bow your head with me for a word of prayer? Father, we're sorry. As a church today, we repent. We repent for our, our lackadaisical attitude towards sin. We repent for our carnality. We repent for not doing all that you've asked us to do. We repent for our desire to be worldly. God, truly, we want to be revived. We can't live at the level on this earth you want us to without being revived. So I'm praying today, I'm praying for this little bitty church that we would be like the house of Abinadab. We would be that designated place where our community says, these are noble people. And then, God, I pray that we would be like Eleazar, children of the house, trusted with living the sacrificial life of caring for the things of God. Forgive us. We've talked about one another. We've misbehaved. We've been bitter and cantankerous and hard to live with. God, that's not us. In fact, that's inconsistent to who you made us. So help us not out of character but to live in character we're sorry today for our sin and then while we're praying God if there's one here today who does not know you who is not a Christian would you save them today would you draw them to your cross where they can see how you sent your only begotten son to die for them that you might reconcile them back into relationship with you that's my prayer in Jesus name we pray 
while you're here, while you're sitting.